and welcome to Conversations on Climate. My name is Chris Caldwell and this series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. We sit down with the experts who are trying to solve the biggest challenge of our time before time runs out. Today we're lucky enough to be talking to Kritika Kumar, who's a digital transformation expert based out of Hong Kong. I met Kritika through a London Business School Alumni Energy Club. We're both alumni and we're both highly passionate about the energy transition and transformation. Kritika has dedicated her career uh, to smartening up buildings, creating efficiencies and creating really significant energy savings. She's an expert on uh, the region, the Asia-Pacific region, and she will have some fascinating insights into Hong Kong, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and uh, what parts smart technologies plays in the energy transition. Kritika, thanks very much uh, for joining us. This wonderful world that we live in, where you can be in Hong Kong, I can be in London, we can be having these, these types of conversations, it's, it's fantastic. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to this platform so I could share uh, more about this and you know how we are looking into uh, decarbonization. Yeah, we're here to have a conversation about climate and all things CO2 and carbon and uh, for you to give us your, your perspective from hugely dynamic and innovative part of the world in, in Hong Kong with your own uh, speciality coming in from you know, technology and how technology interacts with energy. So with the Hong Kong um, kind of top-down approach uh, where the pressure for environmental change seems to come from governmental level rather than the, the kind of bottom-up approach seems to be happening in Europe. Would you see that Hong Kong is, is further ahead or behind on the curve? Where, where do you see um, Hong Kong is in relation to its environmental initiatives um, as compared to, say, London or Paris or New York? I would say quite behind in comparison to, yeah, London or uh, other regions. Setting targets is a great way to start, but I think even those targets were not very ambitious when they were set. Um, and that's just step one, that's tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more that needs to be done beyond setting targets, right, for, from the government perspective. Um, but now we are seeing, like in the latest uh, update to the Climate Action Plan for 2050, um, we see some concrete steps or concrete targets around the time frame of 2035. So just as an example for commercial buildings, there's a target to reduce the carbon dioxide emission by 15 to 20% by 2035. Then there's also um, the renewable energy target, which Hong Kong didn't even have. Um, in the current mix, renewable energy is 0.1%. Uh, but given the land constraints, I guess, you know, there has not been that much of an ambitious way to set up renewable in Hong Kong. Uh, but now there's a target of 75 to 10% till in 2035. Um, the other major thing that the government has started to uh, put targets for is uh, electric vehicles. So transport accounts for 18% of carbon dioxide emissions in Hong Kong. So that's something now the government has said, you know, no more um, non-EV vehicles starting 2035. Not only for individual users, but also commercial fleet. Uh, your vans, your trucks, delivery between Hong Kong and even with mainland China. That's also now, you know, the government is looking into how to move more towards an electric vehicle future. 
Um, that's something I still think it's so behind. We have 11,000 EVs in Hong Kong, the private vehicles, I, I mean, and the electric vehicle to charger ratio is um, five electric vehicles for every one charger. Um, again, the charging infrastructure needs to be updated. There needs to be, you know, a lot of investment put in there so that it's it becomes a norm and not just, you know, some people buying Teslas and driving them in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's 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 the same the world over. Now, no, from my own experience, I was tried to plug in uh, my car into an electric charger in in Ireland uh, last week. I uh, drove to two chargers. Neither of them worked. There was serious range anxiety happening there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, two follow-up questions from, from that. Uh, one is, um, my goodness, how on earth do they think that they can get to a zero carbon economy with only 10 or 15% of renewables in the, in the entire mix? That's the other way around for what the rest of the planet is trying to do. They're trying to get it up to you know, 70, 80, 80, 85% of renewables and then fill in the gaps with the rest. I understand that there isn't an awful lot of yeah, land mass that you can use for, for renewables on, on Hong Kong. It's an island, that's, that, that's life. But it puts an awful lot more pressure on people like yourself who are trying to make efficiencies, drive efficiencies from buildings. Um, how can you deal with that type of pressure? Do you think that you could be shouldering the burden that the rest of the planet is, is, is asking renewables to be shouldering? Yeah, so on yeah, the renewable side, I think there are two major initi initiatives. Um, even though we don't have the utility scale renewable here, um, we do, the government did introduce feed-in tariff uh, scheme to incentivize rooftop solar. And although in the beginning, you know, there was this sense in, in the people that, you know, there's not enough land or I don't have enough space to put up a rooftop panel um, in, my, in, my, in my house uh, in Hong Kong, right? But there are some uh, areas in new territories, there are village houses that have ample space and the right kind of uh, structure. And they're also the landowners. So that's an important thing as well that you must own the building to actually put a rooftop solar on it and a lot of um, you know uh, uh, real estate in Hong Kong is leased so that also brought in brought in its own challenge uh, but I did see like residential side especially new territories but also commercial side uh, leaning in more to put rooftop solar um, on their buildings so that you know they could meet their sustainability goal at least through that amount um, and also the cost side of it, you know, looking into payback of such kind of investments. The other piece is the renewable energy certificates. So that's something also that, uh, you know, the government has introduced. Uh, and again, we see corporates buying more of these renewable energy certificates, because if you cannot, again, have the physical uh, installations, then these are various ways in which at least there is some direction towards increasing awareness of renewable energy in Hong Kong. Um, when we come to the more building side, how we can focus on energy reduction or carbon dioxide reduction um, right now, um, that has been an exciting space for me to be in, to be honest. Um, it, you know, it, it started off with me uh, working at Schneider Electric, where I was looking into the technology startups installed on top of existing building systems to make them more efficient. And uh, usually in a building, the 
heating, ventilation, air conditioning is what consumes the maximum energy. Around, we could say, 40 to 60% of the energy in a building is consumed by these systems. Um, and these systems, the equipment itself, have a life of 20 to 30 years. So the solution is not usually, okay, let's just replace this equipment. Um, there, but there are many efficiencies that can be gained uh, by either getting the data from these equipment and utilizing and learning about that data and then deploying some strategies to make the equipment efficient or just, you know, um, having some control on the equipment, which is intelligent, you know, using artificial intelligence. So that has been the focus for me in the last few years. Look into the technology either coming from Australia, the US, Singapore, and then see how can I bring, how can we bring this technology to buildings in Hong Kong and make them commercialized. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's not a showcase or it's not, a, you know, this is how you can use it in one building. That's not the objective. The objective is that it works in one building and then you scale it up to the portfolio of buildings. And the, the target is, you know, commercial property owners who own um, shopping malls, data centers or office spaces. Um, these are the you know major consumers of electricity and they are now looking into how can they make their portfolio of buildings more energy efficient. And can we put some numbers on that? Like if you, if you go into a building, um, just a, a building which doesn't have any smart technologies in it, uh, what type of efficiencies can you get out of first sweep of it? And if the electricity price goes up, let's say, double, say, uh, what can you then be justifying economically to be, um, to, to be installing? What type of efficiencies can you get to? Hmm. Yeah, I would look at it, um, look into the building from two perspectives. One side is the operational side, which is more the, the chiller plant side of the building, uh, where, where you can get the most energy saving. So if we can make that system more efficient, um, it can help save up to 20 to 30% of energy in a year. Right. Every year you can have about 20 to 30 percent saving for a, for a building owner. That kind of energy saving is quite substantial. Um, and the other way to look at it is more on the tenant side. The people who are uh, occupying the building and the lighting and the air conditioning in this space, that can also be optimized. It can just be, you know, turning off the light when no one is using a room or not having the temperature at 18 degrees Celsius the whole day because, you know, based on the temperature outside, you should be adjusting the indoor temperature. But we really freeze in Hong Kong offices because they also have to maintain the humidity. They also have to maintain the CO2 level indoor. You know, so there are these various factors in a building that come into play and maintaining these different parameters affect the energy consumption. So at, at the end of the day, you know, the building owner or the building manager has to take a call. What is more important, the comfort or the energy saving part? And how do I balance these two? Um, for my building. You know, that's one of the major challenges of any building manager. Yeah, I can remember going, uh, walking around Hong Kong and, um, you know, being bakingly hot outside, you know, wearing you know, T-shirts and a uh, pair of trousers and going into department stores and having to, to, to take a jacket with me because it's so cold inside. <laughs> it, it always baffled me. But uh, it's just how, how, pe how people seem to like it in Hong Kong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I actually worked with um, one of the office owners who are looking into 
uh, automation of the temperature setting so that it's not set at one level throughout the day let's say 18 degrees throughout the day and then you have staff complaining at different times in the day that, oh i'm feeling too hot or i'm feeling too cold and then they're calling the facility management company to adjust the temperature you know some buildings in hong kong are so old that the thermostat is on the ceiling literally the facility manager has a ladder that he takes over to the to the site and adjust the temperature manually this still happens in hong kong in some buildings so you know when you're looking into energy saving you have to start with automation and remote control so in some buildings you know we do have to do that and that's usually retrofit um but you would see even in some of but in the some of the newer buildings there is still opportunity even if it's a new build it still has opportunity to be more optimized and to save energy it doesn't mean that if it's a brand new building there's nothing that can be done because at the time of design and at the time of operation there are these are two different phases of the building and there's always opportunity there the good thing is that property owners are realizing this and they are also seeing the value of um, saving energy and saving their carbon dioxide emission Okay, so you say that we can save 20-30% of the, 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 the cooling costs, the heating and cooling costs with, with energy efficiencies, and about 60% of the entire energy consumption of Hong Kong is from buildings. What other savings can you make? How, how ambitious can you be? If we did that, yeah, for every building, it could come down to maybe 30%. There is another, there's another way or perspective to look into the other savings that we also are generating from deploying technology like this which automates and uh, makes your equipment more efficient by optimizing it um one thing is the payback is something that you know um the the property owner definitely looks into so if we are saying that we can get 20 to 30 percent saving and they uh, the property owner is spending on this technology the payback for this kind of technology is actually one to two years it's not that that much right so this particular like this technology product that i've been working with from australia um, it's actually a mini computer and edge device which is very easy to install on top of the building management system of a building takes the data from the building management system and then uh, runs a prediction of the cooling load of the building uh, it would predict you know okay how much does the building need to consume and then it decides which equipment needs to put in order or what temperature should the water actually flow what is the rate at which the water should flow put all these variables into a place to make it the most optimal performance of the building and then it takes the action to execute this to at all the equipment level so this part this this exact thing which this device does is currently being done manually in most buildings or by the building management system to some extent but it's not it's not taking it to the next level where it can get this energy efficiency because having to you know monitor and then work on at least 20 different variables in a building you humanly cannot do that right so if you bring in this you're saving this time that these engineers are working on the building just changing different temperatures all day they can instead focus on critical issues in the building something breakdown more focus on that and let the building run in a more efficient way we also face this resistance that this thing is going to just replace me it's actually not true you still need um, the expertise there but you you rather spend 
you know, that expertise on more critical issues, which this system can actually notify you of. So, you know, that's how I think that there's, there's of course, the energy saving part, but there's also this manpower that we are saving their time and that time is always money in Hong Kong. And uh, can these type of technologies also be used in a residential context or are you, or do economies of scale just mean that they, that at least currently they're restricted to, to large commercial buildings? This kind of technology, this particular one is more focused on commercial heating ventilation systems. Um, at the residential level, yes, there are uh, there are steps that people can take at the home level. But I, in my personal opinion, something like smart home or Internet of Things based home, IoT home, hasn't really picked up in Hong Kong. There, it's very niche and very few people are doing it. To be honest, the electricity bill in homes is not as high in Hong Kong. It's a regulated business for electricity supply and the, 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 the level of, you know, the unit rate is one Hong Kong dollar per unit of, of electricity. So it doesn't incentivize people to really, you know, save from the save energy perspective. It doesn't really incentivize at the residential level. Technology does exist, yes, but whether people are open to adopt it at this stage, I don't think so. Okay, so um, on a, a kind of a big, a macro picture, what part do you think that um, the broadest sense of um, building management, and that includes kind of residential uh, IoT, um, will play in the overall energy transition, not just in, in Hong Kong, but, but, but globally? Do you think it'll be a major part, um, yeah, absolutely crucial, or do you think it has its role to play, but there are bigger fish out there? Where do you see technology in the, the energy transition space? I see technology as the enabler for all of these targets that are being set up and these plans that are being devised. Um, in my experience, having you know seen how a, a, a particular technology can help save energy, um, that has really you know made me. It's convinced me that this is possible. It's not that hard that it looks as it looks. And if we have the right knowledge and we do it in the right way, it's possible on a bigger scale. Um, and, and actually, there are a lot of targets and international, internationally approved standards that have been set. There's the Green Building Council. There is also the, the way that you measure energy saving and the way that you uh, quantify energy saving, which is uh, by the International Performance uh, and Measurement Verification Protocol. So if you are doing it in a standard way across different buildings, it is possible to have a major, major impact. Um, yeah, so I do think that technology is the way forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you make a very persuasive case. You know, the best way of uh, trying to um, prevent carbon emissions is by not using them in the first place. And uh, could you possibly lay out why you think that your particular space, your particular niche in uh, te technology and how technology interacts with energy would be a good place for people to be focusing either their time or their career or their money? Why, why should we be, be passionate about what you're passionate about? Because I don't think that what I'm now doing in the energy and the technology sector is just limited to energy. When we start looking into decarbonization, 
my focus is how this technology is helping to meet decarbonization goals. So when we're looking into decarbonization and looking into reducing carbon dioxide emission, it's no longer just an energy industry issue. Different type of industries now are looking into how can they reduce their own carbon dioxide emissions. I recently you know, interacted with, a, with an auction house that was looking into a sustainability policy. So last year, they looked into all their emissions uh, coming from either shipping, logistics, buildings, and it means shipping paintings or shipping artwork from all over the world. And that was a major factor of their emissions. You know, you wouldn't see a, an auction house looking into their carbon dioxide emissions 10 years ago, but it's happening now. And you wouldn't think that coming from energy background, you'd look for a job in, a, in an auction house. But if they have a sustainability team and if they are looking into it, today they are seeing where are these emissions. Now they need to work on how to reduce these emissions. So that was one example of a very non-energy sort of industry. But you have Google, you have Amazon, you have all these big players now looking into their own decarbonization strategies and also creating new technology and innovative ways of combating that. So I think, yeah, it's no longer limited to just this energy industry. We're both um, London Business School alumni. If you were talking to other London Business School alumni, what would you tell them? How can they make money out of this? Why should they be, they, they be interested in this purely on the financial side? Like, I, I fully appreciate what you're saying, but if you're talking about the hard-nosed LBSers, how are you selling them? <laughs> <laughs> I think LBSers are either in investment or consulting, right? So let's say if your investment, that's already booming, all the investment into renewable energy, solar, wind, um, coming out of you know, China or India right now, the big, biggest uh, solar uh, installers at the moment. Uh, there are so many different projects that uh, one can put money in. Um, and then on the consulting side, all these companies that are wanting to have a decarbonization strategy, they don't know how. They need experts in sustainability, in, in carbon reduction, in ESG. And there's a huge opportunity there, um, not only in terms of guiding or setting that strategy, but on the other end of it is the implementation as well. I would say the kind of work I am doing is more on this implementation side where I'm helping um, reduce the carbon dioxide emission in buildings by helping reduce the energy consumption in buildings um, through technology, uh, installing hardware, software solutions that can help optimize buildings so then they um, reduce their carbon emission. But there are many, many other ways of uh, achieving that reduction in carbon dioxide. Fantastic. And if there's one thing that both consultants and bankers want, it's numbers. Okay, so I think to to summarise then, uh, taking it taking it from the top, uh, we started with um, the kind of ambitious targets or the, the ambitious goals uh, set by the, the Hong Kong government uh, for decarbonisation, and um, and that has encouraged buildings to be looking towards their energy efficiencies, and that's then also filtered down into into you know the people doing their daily jobs, and improvements are made via you know technologies and systems uh, to be try, trying to get increasing amounts of efficiencies from existing infrastructures, you know, improved, tweaked, 
rather than rebuilt infrastructures. And uh, with all of that, if it can be spread out more and more, significant savings uh, in the energy um, consumption of the city can, can be made. Uh, was that a, that a, fair, a fair summary of, of, of what you were saying? Yes, I think that was that that is a great summary, Chris. I just would like to add one more thing, which would be, you know, to bridge this gap with the at the government level uh, goals for decarbonization and what private uh, entities are doing today. It may sound unrealistic to put more targets or to think of, oh, we need to again look into um, what kind of decarbonization goals or strategies we need to set. But if we don't know where to start, how to start reducing the carbon dioxide emission from where, then it won't happen. Um, so there is a need for private entities and organizations to take a stock of what is consuming the most carbon dioxide emissions from their operations and probably start there. That's the, you know, the, the easiest way to begin because it won't happen in one go. Really, absolutely fantastic point. Unless we understand the levels of carbon that are being put out by companies, by buildings, and by, by particular subsets of the companies and buildings, you don't know what you're, what you're fighting against. And if you don't know what you're fighting against, you're never, you're never going to win. And it is a fantastic point, and it's one that isn't made enough. We're running up against some very serious deadlines here to try and try and decarbonize the planet, to try and try and avoid the worst impacts of, um, of CO2 and uh, climate change. And very few people are talking, like you are, on, well, what are our emissions? How are we managing? What do we need to, need to attack? What do, we, what do we need to battle? That's absolutely fantastic point, and more, more people need to be understanding that. Thank you very, very much for, for your time here. I think that's a, that's a really, really good point to, to be leaving it on. And um, thanks very much, Critica, for uh, coming. And I know it's incredibly late now in Hong Kong, so... Again, thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us on that conversation. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you uh, learned something. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave a five-star review and to subscribe to any of our channels. And we'll be sure to keep you updated on future productions. This series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. These are conversations that you just can't afford to miss.